Awesome. Well, good morning. How are you doing? I'm not quite sure how to take that introduction. I, I, I'm guessing I talk too, too much and talk too long. The good news for you is that I've got an airplane to catch shortly, so I uh, have to get to that airport. I've just been told I'm not going to make my flight by my friend over here. So, But it's such a privilege. I'm sorry I have an accent. I don't know what to do. I'm proud to be an American, although I don't sound like you. I'm a mix, born in Africa, raised in Australia, but live in this great nation. Uh, and let me tell you, you live in a great city. Chi-town, Chicago, what a place. I, I, I live in the prettiest state, but you live in the best city. I live in Colorado, Denver, but this is the city, and I've always said that. Uh, I think Chicago, for me, is my favorite city in the United States, and if you live here, you're blessed to live here. If you're visiting, you'll have to agree, you might live in a pretty place, but this is a great, great city, and I say that in Denver, and they don't like me for saying that, but it's true, so I appreciate the partnership and the friendship. Um, I just want you to know, last time I was here, the air conditioner broke, so I don't believe you have an air conditioner, but hey, either I broke it or you don't have one, but that's cool, uh, but it's really great just to come in and hang out with you guys. Uh, I want you to hear, we're not here as experts to tell you what to do. We are on a journey with you. If you've become an expert in the kingdom, you're in serious, serious danger of losing your way, because it's not about being experts, about being journey people on this journey following Jesus. Uh, learning more about Jesus daily as we walk with Him, learning more about this incredible mandate we've been given. And so I just want you please to hear, I'm not here to tell you what to do. We want to hear God, seek God, and live in these things together as we become all that God has called us to be. And so I recognize there are people from all different walks of life here. Maybe some of you new to the faith or finding your way. Others have been saved for many, many years. Maybe you've got history in other churches or whatever it be. But I pray, my prayer is that God would speak to every person here this morning. And I want you to know God can and will if you'd be willing to hear what it is He has to say. And God's not about us having a meeting. God's about encountering His people, sharing things, revealing things that we won't guess our way forward. While we're called to live by faith, God's called us to know what we're called to do. And I pray this morning in light of what God's sharing, that He'll just remind us three years is a huge celebration. I know it's early days, but it can be a long days. We, we know churches that have started and been over within weeks, unfortunately. Other churches that have stayed the course till Jesus, or, or till they're, they're still going from the day they started. And I do want to say, I'm convinced God's desire for this church is not because of them, but because of God. He has a desire for this church never to end until Jesus comes back. It's not a quick thing, a, a one-off, just another plant. It's a lampstand. It's divine. It's God's way for the church to shine in the darkness and be the people God's called him to, uh, us to be. And so for me this morning, may I just encourage you to stay true to the call. Love Jesus. Be more in, in, in passionate and obsessed with Jesus. Not religion and not even this concept of God. Jesus Christ. As you press into Him and follow Him and walk with Him. I do believe we're going to walk in the bigger and the greater of what it is, God, and the impact that He desires for Restoration Church, of which you're a part of. If you're a visitor, it's great to have you here. You're still part of the church, and if you're looking in, this is where God wants you, then you're going to have to settle and say, yes, Lord, I want to do and be where you've put me, not where I feel like I fit, where you put me, because where you plant me, I will flourish in your house. And so it's just a great privilege. Thank you for the friendship and partnership.
If you've got a Bible, quickly go with me, if you can, to the book of Hebrews, the first chapter. Hebrews chapter 1. I love that there's diversity in this room. I love just by appearance there's different cultures. That's our great country, America. But I also want to say I love the age gaps and the different groups. And How many of you know God wants that? God's a God of all generations and of all, all cultures and of all people. And the church should represent God here on this planet, not our different cliche or where we are. Our cl- God wants His church to represent Him and all people. And so I love that. And I'm sure with the different cultures and different ages, there's different clashes that can easily happen because we all are different. But God's made us to be free to be who He's called us to be. And uh, they say, and I don't know who they are, but I'm going to just say they. They say that the first 40 years of life, it's all about success. And round about the age of 40, you've heard that midlife crisis, some get it really early, some are born there, and others maybe later on. But it's this kind of midlife crisis where for 40 years, it's all about success. I want to be successful. I need to be successful. I want to make my mark here. I want to be rich. I want to be famous, and whatever it be. And then somehow, when you hit 40, you begin to think about no longer what is success, but what is significance. What is the purpose of it all? What does it matter? What significance am I part of? What, what does my life actually mean? And I'm just maybe a simple guy, and it's probably the, only, the loudest amen I'm about to get is I'm a simple guy. Amen. Thank you for my brother-in-law. Very kind of him. But the point I want to make is that I'm thinking, well, if why wait to 40 to find out what's significant? Why not? And I'm way over 40, just so you know. But why wait till you hit to 40? Where we should be, I believe, the church and followers of Jesus, give our lives and our families and our all to something that is significant, that matters not just here on earth, but forever. How many of you want that? Not one day wake up and think, what's it all worthwhile? Why don't we just give our lives? And, our, and it's not about the church. It's about the king and the kingdom, but it's through the church. That's where we find significance as a local church. This church this morning, significance not in you, it's in Him. It's not in buildings and not in people, it's in Christ. And it's in understanding the mandate He's given us. And I believe if we give our attention and our focus and our all to serve God's plan, to serve His purpose, regardless of our age here this morning, nothing is wasted and it's always for significance. And we need significance. I need significance. People need significance, especially followers of Jesus. We're not exempt from this. We need to know what it's about. And I'm going to say this, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, and I've preached it many times, and I make no apologies for this. But, but I, I want you please to understand that the, our revelation of Jesus determines our mission here on earth. And our mission here on earth ultimately determines the church. In God's, if I can use some really clever words in theology, our our Christology. Now you impress some of you, I'm sure. Those of you, yeah, okay, I'll just move on from Moody. But those, our Christology determines our missiology, and our missiology determines our ecclesiology. That's impressive? 
Our revelation of Christ determines our mission, and our mission determines the church. And unfortunately, in our great nation, there's the church thinking, what do we do with the people God's given us? And so we start tagging on a mission and an outlet, and we send people to Africa to preach once a year, or we send them to Asia or to Mexico, and that's good. But we're not a group gathered together to find a mission together. And then somehow we find Jesus in the picture and we tag Jesus on at Easter and we celebrate the death and the resurrection. And then next day, it's back to our lives and every day it's all about us. And I want to tell you, it's not about that at all. It's first Christ and how we see Christ, how you and I as individuals see Him, where He is today, the revelation we have of Him, that determines the mission we have on here on earth. And the mission will determine the church. And that's God's way. So our revelation of Jesus, ultimately, with all due respect, is the greatest revelation we can contend for and have. And as we grow in that understanding of who Christ is, as we see Christ where He's seated, as we understand where He is, it's that revelation that motivates us to live for beyond ourselves and for some of those people out there. And out of that, it determines what the church is called to do. I love Jesus. And not on Easter, every day of my life. I've grown up in the church. I've been born on the mission field. I was born in Africa. My dad was an evangelist, knocking on doors and inviting people, setting up tents. And I was born in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe today is called. And I was there for six weeks of my life. I don't even know the place, but I was born there. My dad was there preaching the gospel. I understand. I got saved into this. We relocated. We moved around all over Africa, South Africa, Australia, the U.S., Australia, back in the U.S. I'm just, I don't know where I'm from, but I hope to God I know where I'm going. But I'm saying that I've grown up in this, and I've put my faith in a whole lot of stuff at the expense of who Christ is, and I lost my way many times. As a pastor and a leader, my faith was in the people, in the church, in my ministry, in all the stuff that's important. And I missed the revelation of Jesus Christ. And until Jesus brought me back to Christ, honestly, what's the purpose of it all? There's no life in what we're doing when Christ is not the life giver to what we do. And my challenge to you and I this morning, it's not up to your leaders to give you that revelation. It's up to you as the privileged followers of Jesus to go to Christ yourself and get your own revelation. And out of that, can you imagine what the church today can walk in in this great nation when we understand who Christ is, what He's done, not just for sinners, for saints too. And it's an everyday event to celebrate and give our lives for. The Bible is about Jesus. So if you tell me about the Bible, then you have to be about Jesus. Because every single chapter of the Bible, the whole of the Old Testament points to Christ. Not hard to find the theme of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's all pointing to Christ coming. And then the Gospels about Jesus has come. The good news, Jesus is here. And it's the life of Christ. And you want to see perfection? You want to see what we should be doing? Look at what Jesus did in the Gospels. Not, I wonder what Jesus would do. We can see what Jesus did. Book of Acts said Jesus, the revelation of Christ, and, the, and then the church birthed in the power and understanding who Christ is. The epistles are Christ is Lord. And then the book of Revelation where it all ends, Jesus Christ is coming back again. 
May I say to you this morning, when Jesus returns, He's not coming back as the lamb to the slaughter. Thank the Lord for the slaughtered lamb, because without Him we would have nothing. But when Jesus comes back, according to the book of Revelation, He's coming back at the righteous judge, as the triumphant king, as the bridegroom coming for His bride, which is you and I this morning. And the first time he came, many people, including his own people, rejected him and missed him. But when Jesus comes again, all, they might not be ready, but they're going to know, nobody's going to miss the King of kings and the Lord of lords coming in full glory and full splendor. Friends, that's got to give us courage this morning. It's got to give us hope and faith, even as the church, with all the stuff we face in our nation. We are followers of Jesus. And here in Hebrews chapter 1, just the first three verses for me are such profound verses. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. In other words, He spoke through many people in many ways, in the past. Verse 2, But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son directly through His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom all He made the universe. Now speaking of Jesus, verse 3, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. How many of you want the glory of God? Now I've been reading through what Moses, their book of Exodus, and Moses' whole thing of show me your glory, Lord. And we sing songs about show me your glory. But what about the radiance of God's glory? That's Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. Perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. Can I say He's not mini God, wannabe God, little God? He's God. And it's important, friends, because the view of Christ, as we said, determines our mission. And if we just see God, Jesus as wannabe God or some resemblance, He's equal to all these other, but He's not really God. Friends, that's the devil's strategy. We lose power. We lose authority. We have no power and authority as the church when we have this diminished view of Jesus. Matthew 16, Jesus was asking the question. You know the story. He said, what are people out there saying about me? Remember the story, Matthew 16. And, and some, they, they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Elisha or one of the prophets. In other words, you're a good guy doing some good stuff. If you see Jesus as a good guy doing some good stuff, you've got no hope. And Jesus was, if I was Jesus, I'd be pretty ticked off with that conversation. Because he was a whole lot more. And I'd be like, okay, hang on here. You guys wait here. I'm going to go show them quickly who I am. you dead. you dead. Lightning, thunderbolt. Now who do you say I am? That's what I would do. But there's many reasons why I'm not God. So relax. But Jesus wasn't that first. When he heard a false testimony about him, he didn't say, ah, they're wrong, I'm going to show them. He moved the question from, what do they say to you? What do you say? Who? My followers. Who? My church. Who do you say that I am? Why did Jesus care about that? Because I believe what he was saying is, actually, my people need to know who I am, because when the church gets to know who I am, the world will see who I am through the church. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. 
Jesus looked at him and said, and you are Peter, and you're blessed. Why? Not because of the car you drive, the house you have, the city you live in, the family you got. Because of your revelation of me, you're blessed. And what did he say? And you are Peter. In other words, now that you know who I am, let me tell you who you are. Everybody wants identity, friends. And we have an identity crisis in our nation right now, but we have it in the church too. Who am I? What am I? What am I supposed to do? We go to conference to conference and church to church to what am I supposed to do? Who am I? And God, God, Jesus says, now that you know who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are. You cannot find identity without knowing who he is first. Our revelation of him determines our mission work. You are Peter, little rock. I'm changing your name. This is now who you are because you know who I am. And then he says, and on this rock, not on you, Peter, on your revelation of me, Peter, I will build my church. The church was never mentioned until people understood who was Jesus is. And then for the first time, Jesus spoke about his church, his building, a church of victory. You read it. It's not hanging on and hoping, Lord, come back soon. We can't cope. It's storming the gates of hell. It's been given keys to the kingdom. And friends, it's an amazing church. Jesus said he's building. But know this, it's built on the revelation of him, not us. You with me, my wonderful friends? Our revelation of Christ matters most. He's not one to be many Jesus. Well, many God, He's God. Verse it goes on, it says, after Jesus purif- uh, provided purification, after, past tense. Please hear that. The church needs to hear that, not just the world, the church. Past tense, after Jesus provided purification for our sins, it's been done, finished. It says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. He sat down, not because He's lazy, and can I say not because He's tired. He sat down because his earthly mission is finished. And it's complete. And it's a success. And when we read this, it's got to give us courage. There's a conclusiveness about this. The first thing is it's confirmation he is who he says he is. (laughs) We can guarantee all the things we don't know This we do know. Jesus is who he says he is because he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of him. So that must give us courage this morning. With our faith in all these other things that's shakable, this we got to know. Jesus is who he says he is. Give us courage this morning because of where Jesus is seated. It also means it's finished. It doesn't have to be done. There's nothing more to be done from that revelation. I'm good right now. Thanks. I know you guys are worried about my sweat. I'm just passionate and it's hot. So here we go. Don't worry about my swear. I'm an American preacher right now, and that's okay. All right? This don't sound like you, but I'm okay. And I'm not wearing my suit either. But okay, we'll move on. Are you there with me, friends? I know that I, I just I can't talk quietly about Jesus. That's just insane. He is who he says he is, and I believe that. That's why I can speak like this this morning. That's why I can live like this and challenge me and you, and not look to man for for recognition, but look to Christ. That's what this church has to build its faith in, Christ and Christ alone. Not say, you know, we keep saying Christians don't tell lies, they sing them in their hymns. Because we sing songs that me, but we don't live what we sing. Christ alone, cornerstone, in my faith is built on nothing. But we got faith in everything but Christ. And then we wonder why we shipwrecked half the time. 
Faith has to be in Christ alone. Cornerstone. He's not one. He's Christ. We're saying you're worthy of it all. Who are we singing to? Christ. The book of Revelation says the angels and the, and, the, and the elders fall and worship who? Christ. We're joining them, singing and declaring where he's seated today. That's the confirmation we have. Confirmed. He is who he says he is. Completed. It also means he's conquered. He's overcome his enemies. I love this. Jesus sits while the devil roams to and fro. He's doing his utmost to mess up what Jesus did. How many of you know he can't mess up? It's done. But here's what I'm learning more and more is that the devil desires to destroy us. But he only has the power to distract us. So guess how he destroys us? By distracting us. Jesus is confident in his finished work and he's crowned. He's above all. He's not coming back, as I said, the lamb to the slaughter. He's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, now, friends, I could have picked any verse. I just chose these few verses just to start us off this morning. Why is that important? Because I want to just chat for a few moments on context. And for you and I to understand context. You know, we love to see God from our point of view, which is awesome. But I want to just try this morning from Scripture, just very briefly, and give you an oversight. It's a lot more than this, but I'm challenging you to go read the Bible to see if what I'm saying is true. And I'm, I'm going to say something that most preachers don't tell you. If I'm not, if what I'm saying is not in the Bible, please don't do it. Because I'm irrelevant. He matters. His Word He's watching over. Not what I say, what He says. There's too much stuff being put on God's people to hold us back because of religion and understanding at the expense of the freedom Christ wants to bring us into and keep us as the church today. This church has to stay free so we can reach people and bring them out of bondage, not into captivity, into freedom. It's hard to bring people into freedom if we, this church, are not free because they're going to pick up what we've got, not what we say. Everything in our culture, even the church culture, is always, not their hearts are wrong, but to put stuff on and do this stuff and prove this stuff. Friends, we just got to get free, stay free. Paul writes to the Galatians, and he, shout, he says, it's for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm in your freedom. Who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? I got up here and said, you foolish Americans. You'd be like, yeah, but, but it's so easy how full we become by adding on and tagging on to the American gospel at the expense of the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ that keeps you and I free. I'm not, bad, I'm, I'm not judging people or hearts. I'm just saying let's keep it free. Let's be free. Let's celebrate diversity in this room. Let's dress according to how we feel rather than we have to dress like this. Act. Jesus wasn't about that. Why did Jesus have to kiss why did he have to be kissed by the betrayer to be identifying who Jesus is? Why? Because they could hardly tell the difference who Jesus was amongst all the people. Why? Because he wasn't some religious freak who stood out from everyone. Although he was Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm not saying let's be like them, but I'm saying let's be real. Let's be free. Let's be the followers of Jesus that represent Christ, not a church, a religion. Christ. I want to tell you it's attractive to all people, all ages, to find freedom in Christ. So I want to just try and bring context to what we do here. So Chris, would you, I'm going to, this is my bouncer, so don't mess with me, all right? It's my bodyguard. 
my brother-in-law too, which is another whole story. But anyway, so I, I'm going to just talk for a moment, just show context, all right? Are you okay with me? Are you good? Uh, that's why I only get you every two years that I can get invited back too often. This could be the last time, so hold on. But I, I want to talk for a moment first about this, okay? Can you see that? I know you at the back can't see that, but this is life, okay? I want to... I wanna, no, I want to see my, God through my eyes. Let's look at God, what God sees when He looks at us. Because that's more important than what we think. What does God think? And I believe that this thing of life is incredibly important to God. And you're going to amen this and love this for a moment, but it's going to be challenging as we go on. So just enjoy this first point. I want you to know God does love you, every single person in this room and every person on the planet. But we're talking to us this morning. Your life matters. Every one of us, our lives matter. I still believe that Jesus would have come for one of us. Not, if there was one on this planet, maybe I'm dumb, but that's what I believe. If it was just me on this earth, I believe Jesus would have come just for me. And I'm no superior to anyone else in this room, regardless of your upbringing, friend. Regardless of, forgive me, who your parents are, if you even know who they are. If you've never met your dad or your mom, I don't know. This I've got to tell you, your life matters to God. And if you can't settle that, you've got no chance of reaching people out there looking for value and worth. Well, Tyron, you don't know where I was born. I do not. But he knows because he cares about details of our lives. God's fingerprint is in everything, friends. You've got to believe this. And you can't tell them that if you don't believe it. And there's such an attack on identity and who we are and our parents matter and your upbringing matters and which side of the, of the, the border and the fence where you were born, that determines it's wrong. In God's economy, Jesus came for 7 billion people. And He came for every one of you this morning. Every one of us mattered to God. He cares the stuff we face. He cares. How? I don't know, but He does. He loves us. He cares about us. He has destiny for every single person. Your life matters. You are worth something. It's not about taking your life. He gave His life for you. And He loves you. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you're sinning right now or as pure as white gold, I don't know. He loves you. And it blows my understanding, but I have to believe God loves because God is love. Psalm 139, let me just read it to you quickly. Verse 13, this is what the psalmist said. I mean, for you created my, who's he speaking to God? You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I can see some of you are very fearfully and wonderfully made. God had fun making some of us, let's be honest. But he said, I praise you. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Why? Because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you know we need that revelation, friends? Teachers tell you you're an idiot. Your parents tell you you're a waste of time. You're a mistake if you even know them. Your friend, friends, we've got to let God speak life again. He cares about life and every individual in this room. Because I am fearfully, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Listen to this. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God's eyes, saw our unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
that tells me God is a God who makes people with destiny. With dignity. God has ordained the days of our lives before one of them actually began happening. Now, I don't understand all this, but I believe all the Bible, otherwise I can't believe any of it. And I'm asking you to get this revelation again and again and get before the Father and let Him love on us and show us how important we are to Him because we matter with destiny and dignity, but with it comes duty. We've been made with purpose, for purpose, created by God to connect with God. You know, I'll probably get in big trouble now. If you love animals, that's cool. That's great. But God loves you more than animals. And I know people are going to throw rocks at me in a moment. Just hear my heart. Man and woman were created in the image of God, not animals. And I'm not anti-animals and we should take care of them. But this nonsense that man's your best, a, dog, man's, a dog's man's best friend is wrong. God made you and I to have relationship with God. That's the purpose of why he created us, to actually have relationship with him. He doesn't need anything. If he needed anything, it ceased to be God. But he chose I don't need, but I want relationship with people. Therefore, I'm creating man and woman in my image to have relationship with them. Not to do stuff for me, to have a relationship with them. Let me ask you this question. Is what you're living for worth what Christ died for? It doesn't mean that every day is a day of radical things. It means there's a significance to your life daily, not Sundays, every day. Because your life matters. God cares about you. And I trust this morning some of that revelation will just break in again. All the stuff that's been spoken of you, let it fall aside. And let the life of God come. How many of you are feeling, oh, I'm encouraged by this preacher. Keep preaching, brother. Because your life matters. And God looks at every individual and cares about every detail of your life. But unfortunately, many people preach this and only this. So we think it's all about us. I want to tell you, when God looks at your life, He sees a context. Chris, can you bring the next thing, please? I didn't get too many amens in that, so I'm not going to get any amens in these next ones. But hey, it's truth, right? Secondly, I believe when God looks at our lives, He looks at the context of a local church. Now notice I didn't say the church, local church. Because when you're saved, you've been, that's what the church is, the called out ones. We've been rescued and transferred, and so we're saved, and we become the church. We are the church. We, but we need to be part of local church, not because the church needs us, because God sees your life in a significant way connected into a local church. And I, I, I want to just be straight this morning. Hey, i got no skin in the game. I get to leave this afternoon. I don't have a dog in this fight, just so you know. But you're never going to flourish if you're not planted in the house of God. And the house of God is not some mansion in heaven one day. This is a house. And if this is where God has you, this is not that church. This is a local church that God wants you to be in so you can grow. I told you we're going to love the life thing. Give me the life all about me. Champion, you're a champion. God loves you. Yeah, yeah. And in a local church. Where do you see that? Right through Scripture. Book of Acts, it says they were saved into, into the local church, not just some gathering. People, lifestyle, connected in, being who God called them to be. Okay, can I say this morning, you cannot 
You cannot be connected to Jesus, to the, to the head, and not connected to His body. There's no biblical backing for that. There is no scripture. Every priest needs a hood for you gangsters from Chicago. Every sheep needs a pen for you farmers. Every tree needs to be planted. I don't know much about trees and planting trees, but I do know this. If you keep uprooting and moving on, you can never flourish. You can never grow. I'm just going to tell you, it's not where you feel like God wants you, or where I feel like I belong. Where does God knit you in? You belong, and if you have a family, you best get settled, and you best get planted, so you can grow and flourish in God's house for God's glory. Be who God's called you to be. It's not for the church. It's for God and for us, and to be who God's called us to be. Are you there, friends? <laughs> Psalm 92 verse 12 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted, look at this, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of God. And then it says, They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and green. Why? Because they planted in the house of the Lord. How many of you older as you follow Christ want to keep bearing fruit, still be green? And stay there because I'll be in trouble if I don't. Can I say this then, friends? It's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. In other words, we always talk about I was such a sinner and then I got saved. And then, friends, we've come out of stuff, but God wants to bring us into more important things. And that's why you better be careful what church you get connected in and connected to. Because what you're connected to is more important than what you've come out of. Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 that He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom, saved out of, transferred into what? The kingdom, not just taken out of, come on into. So I believe God wants you to be making sure that you where He wants you, and I'm honestly convinced, I mean, I believe in what God's doing. It's not about size and numbers, honestly. It's about what God's doing, and we believe in this. It doesn't matter. We've come at our own price, our own cost, because we believe what God's doing here is God. We have this wonderful relationship of friendship, but also where we can challenge each other, question stuff, to keep this thing real and alive and biblical, rather than great concepts and books that we learn from other pastors all over the world, to keep people free. But you've got to know this, that God doesn't just see your life that matters on your own with your family. It's in a local church, and if it's not this local church, forgive me, find out where it is. But you cannot grow if you're not planted in the house of God. One of the most challenging verses for me in the Bible is, it says in Isaiah, I think 41, it says, the poor and the needy search for what? I was sharing this yesterday with the leaders. But I, the God of Israel, will not forsake him. And then he says, I'll make rivers flow in barren heights and all this great. And then he says this, and I'll put in, this, in the desert the cedar and the acadia, the myrtle and the junipers and olives. I'll, I'm gonna, what he's saying is I'm going to put all these trees, shrubs, and bushes that don't belong together and don't belong in the desert, but I'm going to put them in the desert together. Why? For the display of the Lord's splendor. What I believe is that God actually says, I'm going to put people who naturally would never connect. I'm going to put them who are different together. The prickly bushes that we talk of, the thorn bushes, and some of you are that. And if you're not sure who they are, we gladly will tell you who you are. But thorn bushes are needed like acacia and myrtle and Cedar, why? Because smell good, look good. God puts you together to work together. And if we're honest, we jump from 
church to church to find where I fit, where my record. Friends, find out where God wants you because wherever God wants you, please hear this, you fit. He makes you fit. And He puts you there so you can grow and be who He's called you to be. We need all pictures of the church. Some of us love the family dynamic, don't you? If you don't have family and you move to this big city like Chicago, suddenly, oh, I need a church. Why? Because I need family. And that's the emphasis you love about the church. But the Bible emphasizes family and it emphasizes army and it emphasizes a pillar and foundation of truth. And it's all these other truths. We've got to be all those things, not just the one thing we like. The bride, and I'm just telling you as a, as a male, I struggle a little being a bride. I just want you to know, I don't quite get the whole, but I get it. I'm okay if I have to wear a wedding dress as long as I get to wear army boots for the combat, right? Sorry, that's a joke, but it's, but we can't just be the one, and we emphasize the one we love, and the Bible says there's many. We've got to be all those pictures if we're going to impact the city and the nation. So don't hold on to your Liking, look to be what God and this church has to function in the way God's called it to function. It's not up to your leaders, up to us to be who God's called us to be. Are you there, friends? Are you okay? Thirdly, so some of us, okay, this is the American dream right here. Local church, uh, uh, my family in local church, so all about me. I mean, this is, this is the American dream right here. That's not the God dream. Third thing, quickly, you guys are listening so well. Just listening. I don't know if you are listening. Okay. I do believe that the, the, the great, uh, the, the, this is where we get our eyes off ourselves. This is when we understand the Great Commission. Oh, here we go, the Great Commission. You mean I'm going to go to Africa in the summer and raise my, no, the Great Commission is go make disciples of all nations, including the nation we live in, the people here. Followers of Jesus making Followers of Jesus. Those were the last words of Jesus to his disciples. Surely they should be the first words we give our lives to. If we make it just about the local church, then it's just about us. But God's way of keeping the church's eyes off herself is we are actually here for the Great Commission. How many of you heard about the Great Commission? Of course we have. Why? Because it's this add-on mission thing we do. No, no. It's part of God's plan for my life to be part of local church and the local church to be involved in the Great Commission. You know, friends, I, I've grown up. All I've ever heard, my dad has been this big guy on the whole Great Commission because that's it. But you know, we often preach the Great Commission as this price we've got to pay. And there is a heavy price to it because it's all about living for something bigger than ourselves. But David Livingston... Ever heard of him? He said this about the Great Commission. He said, how is it if we were to be commissioned by an earthly king, it would be an absolute honor. But to be commissioned by a heavenly king is a sacrifice. Maybe I suggest in the economy of heaven, we need to move from sacrifice to honor and privilege. That this king would commission you and I, not the preachers, people, followers of Christ, to be followers of Christ and multiply and make followers of Christ. Would you trust you? I wouldn't pick me. I wouldn't trust me with a wheelbarrow with all due respect. I don't have one. But honestly, I'm not mocking. I wouldn't pick me for a kingdom assignment. But he picks us, you in this room, to be involved in the Great Commission. It's right through Scripture. And if you don't believe it, then you haven't read the Bible. It's not an optional extra to keep Christians out of the world. 
It's not to keep people busy. It's the mandate of our lives to multiply followers of Jesus, making followers of Jesus. So when God looks at your life, friend, my life, He sees destiny and purpose, but He sees it in the context of the local church. And this local church matters to Him. He cares. We don't come in and say, oh, it's not working, it's not big enough. Who are we? He gave birth to this. It's real. It's His lampstand. We better keep it His. But then we better keep it on the mission He has for us, which is the Great Commission. Huh? I believe this. If the church ceases to be involved in its mission, it's betrayed its trust. And I'm saying this, I think when we lose our heart for the Great Commission, it can happen, even in three years. I believe we, we actually surrender our very reason for existence. God loves you, but God has a plan for us to be His hands and feet here on this planet. Not just to the nations, to the city, but also to the nations. This church, while you've got nations in this room and in your city, God still called you to go to the nations. One amen probably there would be great, but we'll move on. Okay, great. Nice time. Okay, well, can I just tell you quickly, I have to land. Are you with me? Very quiet, but it's great. I'll take quiet. So the Great Commission has a context. It's not just this thing we go and do once a year. And I'm mock, I'm. I'm Saying that a lot because I think we hear that a lot. Listen, I love this nation and your heart for the world. I really do. I love that whenever there's a need, America's the first to step up, even from ch- uh, countries that hate us, that oppose us. When they hit, try, they call us, and guess what? We take our money and we take care of them. It's just America. I love that we care about other nations, but I also want to say this we've got to care about this nation. We don't make the mission field overseas this year is where God's determined where you live. If you're here for school, He's put you here not just for school, but to reach people. This church is here because people need Jesus. You're here because people need Jesus through you. Please don't lose that heart. But can I say the Great Commission, I believe in God's economy, is in the context of the gospel. You heard about the gospel? I hope you have, because if you haven't, you're probably not saved this morning. But can I say this about the gospel? Two things I want to say about the gospel. Number one, the gospel is to be told to the world. Number one. It's good news. And I listen to people present the gospel, and it sounds like bad, terrible news. Because we've made it about stuff we got to do to be saved rather than understand what Jesus has done for our salvation. Are you there? Now, how many of you know it's not, the gospel is good news, but it's only good news if it gets to people in time. Otherwise, it's just irrelevant. And there are limitations to this gospel, according to the Bible, because it cannot be believed until it's been heard. And it cannot be heard until it's been preached. And it cannot be preached until we take it and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And I love the song we sing, I Ran Out of the Grave. Isn't that a cool song? And it's a kind of weird song because you got to, where's the fiddle and all the. But you know what, friends? It's a reminder for us that the gospel's not just about taking bad people and making them good. It's about taking dead people and making them alive. We've got to stop, you're bad and God's a good God and God made you who's bad really good. And people are like, I don't even feel bad. What are you doing? But you're dead. 
while you had breath, you dead. And Jesus came and He took you from death and He's given you life. That's the good news of the gospel. He rescued us from death and brought us into life. Not just, I was bad and now I'm good. That too, but it's way more than that. So we've got to understand, we've got to preach the gospel to the world, to the people. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Go and tell the world, not about your church or about you or about how awesome your job is. Tell them about Jesus. But can I also say, it's not just to be told to the world, it's also to be taught in the church. Because if you read, and I think you've had a thing of Galatians up, so you could, if you've been going through the book of Galatians, okay, so if you look at that book, and if you, the guys who preach, done a really good job, you'll see that actually the gospel was spoken and taught to the church because it's actually a way of life. Paul writes, and he says in Philippians chapter 1, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, line your life up with what you're preaching. It's a, a regulator for relationships. Do you know that if we understand the gospel, we work our stuff out? If we're not about the gospel, we dislike one another and have issues. But do you know your and my issues with each other in this church and with other churches can actually hinder the progress of the gospel? I don't know about you, I want my life to count, but I certainly don't want my life to hinder the progress of God, the gospel getting out by the relational issue. But when you understand, it's a regular, we keep right relationship with each other because the gospel is more important than my offense. Colossians 1.6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been from the day you understood and heard it. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I, I think we are, the church, a little ashamed because it's just kind of too simple. We've got to make it harder. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God for salvation. Not clever tricks, not taking care of the poor only, not signing checks and giving money to the poor, giving them the gospel. I don't care. We have a, a, a duty as the church to care for the, 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 uh, the, the uh, poor. It's not the government's role. Honestly, the Bible says it's the church's role to take, and I'm glad for the governments that help out, but it's our job to take care of the poor. But many of us are comfortable writing checks or feeding them or even giving them amazing, serving them and blankets and soup kitchen, and that's great. But if they don't know Jesus, with all due respect, we're keeping them warm till they go to hell. And that sounds heavy and harsh. It's not. It's fact. We've got to tell them the gospel rather than just give them soup and hope they hear it one day. Somebody said that it's, can you imagine if, when the, the prodigal son, if he was living in the social gospel, he would have been handed a blanket and a bed and never gone home to his father. Some of you I know are really mad because you're involved in mercy ministry. Keep your mercy ministry ministry going along. But somewhere we've got to tell people about Jesus. You can't get saved by just getting something to take care of. You need the gospel. We find it easy to preach it to the world when you're in another country. But our own city, mm, our own friends, not so much. They'll just see Jesus in me. No, they won't. Somewhere they need to know what you believe. And if you really care about those people, maybe you need to tell them. If you lose a friendship, it's worthwhile. 
unless you presented them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Is that, are you right? God says, your life matters, but so does theirs. Okay, I'm, I'm crash landing here. Next point. Oh, the gospel, awesome, the good news. No, no, there's a context to the gospel. You know what it is? The kingdom. Yes, I've got an amen there. Thank you. The kingdom. Ah, oh, what does that mean? Oh, that's just weird, this abstract thing. I don't know what it means, but one day in heaven we'll have kingdom stuff. No, no, friends, there's something we need to hear today. This gospel, if you read the Bible, certainly in the New Testament, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just this random, Jesus loves you, it's all about you. You know, people have made it that Jesus so loves you that he, sent his, that he came just for you. And so what we've presented, with all due respect, is there's Santa Claus in heaven who's here to hook you up whenever you need. Whatever you want, there's a present for you. Because why? It's about you. And we've got this American consumerism, and it's not the people's fault, it's the preacher's fault. Because what we've told everyone is all about you. And then we have to understand, while Jesus came to save us, Jesus, I believe, actually came not for us, but for His Father. Because actually, He came to restore right relationship with God. So I want to suggest Jesus didn't just come for me, He came for His Father, and I get the benefits of being right standing with God. So it's not about me, it's about Him. And if we think it's about us, it's all consumerism and my life and I matter most and it's all, and we stick with the, it's all about me. How are we going to reach them if it's all about you? How's the, the mandate of heaven going to be worked out if it's all about me? It's all centered around me. It all revolves around my throne. And you might want to leave this church from here in this this morning because honestly, friends, you'll find churches out there that tell you it's all about you. But I'm going to tell you the Bible says it's not about you. Guess what? You're included in it, but it's not about you. This gospel is about a kingdom. Have you heard about the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom? Well, I think in its simplicity, it's the rule and reign of God. So wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom of God. How many of you believe that there's some of that here on earth today? A lot of people say, oh, you kingdom now, aren't you? I'm like, no, I'm kingdom now and one day. The full reign of God will come when Jesus returns, absolutely. But I do believe some of the kingdoms come right now. Why? Because Jesus came and brought the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? The rule and reign of God. So if Gavin's sick, and I pray for Gavin this morning, and he gets healed, the rule and reign of God comes, Gavin's healed, that's the kingdom. When we pray for a marriage and God restores a marriage, the kingdom of God has come. When you get saved, you've surrendered from death, and now you've got, found life. There's the rule and reign of God in your life. Friend, how many of you know the kingdom's come? When you get financial breakthrough without ripping off the IRS and not paying your taxes, but doing it right, the kingdom of God. We're about the kingdom. We're not about the church. Our role here on this, as a church, according to Matthew 16, is to advance the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Not the preacher, the church. We get to administrate, bring, walk through the city day and day and bring something of the, uh, the, 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 the rule and reign of God through people into people's lives and homes. Isn't that cool? Bigger than this. It's for the king and advancing his kingdom. So when God looks at our lives, when he looks at this church, it's actually a church here to advance, impact and increase and influence, bring something of the kingdom here to Chicago. Can't bring something you haven't got. 
which means you've got to live in a place of total surrender to this incredible king. You know, everywhere else, when you surrender, it's defeat. But only in God's kingdom does surrender bring victory. I love that. When I get to a place of surrender in the kingdom, that's where I have the rule and reign of God. That's when I'm victorious. I can't be in victory until I've surrendered. And it's not a one, I got saved the, I don't know, 30 something years ago. That day I surrendered. Yeah, it's a daily surrender. Even what I'm preaching this morning, I want you to know it's a surrender because it's not what I want to preach. Everything we do, well, but I want the rule and reign of God to come. I want to be a kingdom person who advances the kingdom for the king. So if you focus on the church this morning, you're going to be disappointed, hurt, and have very little influence. If you're about the kingdom of God as the church, my friend, we've got a mandate that lasts forever. Let me just offend you for a moment and say that I don't believe the church is the kingdom. I don't believe the church is the kingdom. Some of you are going to throw rocks and say, I've learned that it was. Well, it's not according to the Bible. Why? Have you ever seen the church shake? Church splits. I mean, half the plants across the city are splits. But according to the Bible, the kingdom cannot be shaken. But the church, wow, she gets shaken. Why? Because a lot of what the church is, is not kingdom. I'm sad when the pain of the shaking, but I'm grateful this side of eternity that there's some shaking and I can fix it when it's not too late. I believe the church is in the kingdom, and I believe the kingdom is in the church. But the church is not the kingdom, because if the church is the kingdom, then who's the king of this church, of this kingdom? And I don't know about you, but I love, I love Hugh, but I don't want him to be the king. I'm wasting my time trying to be, make him king, which is really big in the church today. The pastor's the king, and you all serve him or her or whatever she is. Friends, no wonder we're all fed up, and we're not reaching anyone because we're serving a man. Jesus didn't say, hey, you take my place as many kings. Your role is to serve me and my plans. And I'm entrusting you with the gospel of the kingdom to advance my kingdom here on earth so I can come back to my bride who's ready for me with a whole bunch of people ready. (laughs) Sorry, I know you want to be king, but hey. I'm saying this. I mean, friends, nobody, anyway. Okay, my last point, and here we land with this. And you notice it's blue, not because Jesus is blue but because this is the most important picture of them all. Just leave it there for a moment, if you don't mind. You see this one here? Uh, no, you can't. There it is. King. Can you see it at the back? I can't pick this up. I'm not that tough. But, king. Now, I made this higher for a reason. I believe, honestly, friends, and I'm not trying to be cliche and clever here. I, I believe that when God looks at every one of our lives, He sees our life in the context of the local church. But then he sees the local church in the context of the Great Commission. And then he sees the Great Commission in the context of the gospel. And the gospel's in the context of the kingdom. And the kingdom is in the context of the one and only king, of which none of us are the king. And we make the kingdom all about us, but actually a king has subjects, a kingdom has subjects and a king. And it all revolves around a king. And I know that we live in America, and again, I don't want to bring our history, but we fought uh, England and broke away from that because we didn't want a king. We wanted a democracy, and that's awesome when it comes to life. But God is a God who's about a kingdom, not a democracy. There's no voting in, our, in the kingdom. There's no having a say in everything. 
And I'm all for saying, I'm voting. I'm an American. I've got a passport. And let me tell you, I said yesterday, when I became an American, one thing I realized is they tell you, you are American. You have a say. You better speak up. You better vote. It's your freedom. It's your right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Preach. Yeah, I'm an American. And I realized the church thinks it's the same. We're not a democracy. We, we, we actually serve a king. And if we don't have that revelation, this stuff doesn't work. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So let me just land with this. You see this? This is the most important thing in everything we're involved in. And I'm going to move it to the middle and say, if we understand this, actually, my life, can I say it like this? My life is in the context of a king. Let me tell you, as a husband and a father of three sons, I will be a better husband and father if I live with this revelation of Christ. I would be a better friend to people when I get that my life ultimately is in the context of a king. I won't be the jerk walking around being some leader in the church. I would be a follower of Jesus, obsessed with Jesus, loving all people. Because my life is in the context of a king. Can I then also say that the local church, ultimately, is in the context of the king. Which means this leadership, and we here, we honor the king above anyone or anything. Which means we preach what God wants us to preach, not what people want to hear. Which means we don't let people serve us, because together we serve Him. We don't fear man, we fear the King, and we live with the reverence and the holy awe of Jesus Christ is the King of kings. And, the, and we have this local church falling in love with Him, not with us. Which means that the Great Commission getting stuck in the corner here, is in the context of the king. Not this optional extra for Africa. The king has commissioned me, and I live with a great commission with the eyes fixed on Jesus, which means the gospel is in the context of the king. It means the kingdom is in the context of the king, which means significance in every single thing we do. Whether it's recognized or not, it's because we have a king. It means we seek the glory of the king, for the king. It means we live with the governance of our king. And it means we're guided by the king wherever we go and whatever we do. Which means we don't do stuff for each other or for the city or for this nation. Because when you do stuff for people, you end up disliking when you do it for the king, you can't dislike him if you're walking with him and you represent him to the world. That's something of what I believe God's desire is for every one of us and for this church. And I pray. Could you close your eyes, please? I really have tried not to be clever with my preaching this morning slogans and cliches. This is fact. This is biblical. This is eternal truth. 
and my encouragement to you and I is that we get through Scripture and we look and we see. And if it is, then let's give our attention and focus to things that matter. Let's recognize the significance of our context, that what we're involved in, that we're part of, matters for eternity. And I'm not trying to hype, elevate that. I'm serious. This is an eternal thing we're a part of. We can't allow our feelings emotions get in the way of what God's called us to. Your life matters. I believe it. Your life is in the context of a king. Live with that revelation. Grow in that revelation. Let's be followers, seekers of His glory, for His glory, governed and guided by Him. Lord, I pray this morning for our friends in this room. I don't know most of these people, but this I know. You know them. You chose them. You've determined the place and time where they live. Not them, you. You did it, that men would seek and reach out and find you, though you're not far from us. If there are people in this room that don't know you or know of you but have no personal relationship, I pray this morning, Lord, would you grip our hearts enough to say, I need and want to know Christ. I, I don't want to know the, the Christ of my friend, or I want to know Christ for myself. I pray for people's understanding of destiny and dignity, that they've been made in your image for your glory because of you. You chose us. Wherever, whatever lies have been spoken, would you break them off this morning? Not because I'm here, because you want to bring life to those who have been dead. Would you help us move our eyes from ourselves and our rights and our privilege and to begin to see again the big picture of why you've put us here for significance, not to be successful, but to make a difference that has eternal ramifications. And we find the significance even in the day-to-day -day stuff because of understanding these truths. May we work our relationships out May we not carry bitterness and hurt. May we get free this morning. May we love you. And if we love you, we all love your church. May we be the church you've called us to be. I pray for grace and mercy over this church. I pray for wisdom and courage over this leadership team. I pray for clarity for a season of knowing what you've called them to and, and giving themselves to th only the things you speak in, not to what everyone wants. I pray for greater impact in this time greater influence in this city. More lives to be transformed because of followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. And most of all, Jesus, may we be overwhelmed and undone by you day and night, night and day. Let our incense and let our praise arise. May you not be a concept or a thought. May you be the center of it all. We bow before you this morning and say, take your rightful place, King Jesus. Not my Savior, but my Lord and Savior. Have your way, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in this church. Thank you for what you're doing in and through this church. We embrace the future with arms wide open because we trust you because you are God. 
Bring freedom, I pray. As we give you all the praise, all the glory, in your most magnificent name. Amen.